Welcome to this special edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Shadi Karosh, your Editor-in-Chief. In honor of Women's History Month, we present this special issue on the history and advancement of women in dermatology, presented as a roundtable discussion with the women and men who are leaders of the Women's Dermatologic Society. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to another edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Dr. Mona Gohara, and today I have the privilege of moderating a panel discussion for a special issue on the history and advancement of women in our field. We are joined today with the founders and leaders of the Women's Dermatologic Society. I'd like to have them introduce themselves. I'm Wilma Bergfeld, and I'm a practicing dermatologist at the Cleveland Clinic. I'm the founder of the Women's Dermatological Society, and I'm also the first woman president of the American Academy of Dermatology. Well, I'm David Pariser, and I'm uh, the former historian of the Women's Derm Society, and have uh, been quite active in the history of dermatology, and specifically the history of women in dermatology. I am Pearl Grimes. I am the current president of the Women's Dermatologic Society. I am also a clinical professor of dermatology at UCLA, and I am the director of the Vitiligo and Pigmentation Institute of Southern California. I'm Lynn Drake. I'm on the faculty at Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. I was the second woman president of the American Academy of Dermatology and a past president of the Women's Derm Society. Thank you so much. Let's get started. So Dr. Bergfeld, you are truly a female pioneer in the world of dermatology. Your list of firsts include the first woman president of the American Academy of Dermatology, first woman president of the Cleveland Academy of Medicine, and founder and president of the Women's Dermatologic Society. Can you talk about some of your experiences in these leadership roles and how you think things have evolved for women dermatologists? Well, it's very difficult to go back in time so many years ago to say what were the pivotal things that occurred to you in your life that put you in a leadership position. But I can say that when I was a graduate of the Cleveland Clinic's dermatology residency program and had taken my boards, I decided that I had to set new goals for myself. At that time, I thought being a mother, a wife, and a graduate and certified dermatologist was enough for me, but in truth, it wasn't. So one night as I sat at my desk pondering what I was going to do in my future, I decided I would be president of the American Academy of Dermatology and president of the American Dermatological Association. I was 30 years old, an impossible task, an impossible goal. However, I also said to myself, what skills must I develop? Obviously, you have to have organizational skills, leadership skills, and so I then decided I would gather those. So I had the opportunity of taking many various leadership courses, organizational courses at the Cleveland Clinic. I then also nominated myself to the Cleveland Derm Society and said, I'd like to work here. I'd like to be part of this organizational group. And I started with the Cleveland Derm Society and moved on through a variety of different societies being the president over time. So when I began this leadership pathway, about age 50, I was nominated to be the AAD's first woman president, which I achieved on the second vote, on the second run that I made. And I want to thank Dr. Lynn Drake for proposing me for that at that time. But anyway, leadership is very important, and having the skills for leadership and also having the behavior of a leader, I believe, is a skill that one can learn but also is innate. Thank you. 
Dr. Pariser, women now make up the large majority of our specialty. This obviously has not always been the case. Tell us about the first women dermatologist and tell us why it has been important to you to support women and the understanding of the role of women in dermatology. Well, you made the point that women either are now or are going to shortly be the majority of dermatologists. And I hope that we've gotten beyond the point where we have to look at gender, but yet we have to look in the past to learn that. And I had the, it became to me a sort of labor of love researching some early work on the first woman dermatologist. I actually discovered her in the archives of the American Dermatological Association, which I have also been an officer and, and historian of that. And uh, I made it my, uh, one of my duties to read all of the minutes from every meeting back to 1876, which are all well preserved. And in the um, 1911 minutes, I noted that there was a, someone proposed for membership by the name of Daisy Orlman Robinson. And I said, hmm, that sounds like a woman. I wonder what happened. After a, many hours of internet searching and going to the National Library of Medicine, the History of Medicine Library, and doing some internet work, I actually teamed up with a, a descendant of, actually not a real descendant, but a family relative of this woman who had all her personal effects and, and uh, was able to fill in a lot of historical background, extensive literature research, uh, publications and presentations that she's made, and was able to discover that this woman, Daisy Orlman Robinson, was the first documented woman dermatologist by many categories. There, of course, was no formal training back in, the, in those days. She graduated medical school in 1890, studied in Europe which was what everyone did at the time when you wanted to be a specialist, came back to New York, could not get a job as a dermatologist, let alone as a physician, as a woman in those days, ended up being the physician in a boarding school, but then married a professor of dermatology at, at the New York Polyclinic and was instantly a dermatologist and had a private practice and an academic appointment, presented papers and cases in the New York Derm Society as early as 1905. I could go into great detail with, but I would refer the, the reader to an article that I wrote in, about her if they're really interested in the details of her history. It's quite fascinating, her personal as well as her professional history and the fact that I was able to, to personally view some of her, her own artifacts, including a scrapbook that she made and her diplomas and a lot of in, very interesting things. I think I got to know this woman pretty well. Interesting. I'm thankful that we don't have to marry a dermatologist to become a dermatologist now. Dr. Grimes, you're a leader in the world of dermatology who's been at the helm of many organizations. What makes the mission and momentum of the Women's Dermatologic Society so relevant in our specialty as it stands today? I think the Women's Dermatologic Society is truly a very special and unique organization. If we look at the history of our specialty when our founder, Dr. Wilma Bergfeld, gave birth to us in 1974, women comprised less than 10% of our specialty. Now we're approaching 50%. I think we remain as relevant today as we were in 1974. Why are we special? I think we're special because we continue to promote the healthcare needs of women and their families. And moreover, I think we're special because of all the services that we continue to provide for women. We provide support and nurturing, mentoring, and key leadership skills for women in our specialty that they really can't get in other organizations. While we are inclusive and we have men in our organizations, I think the thing that continues to make us special is our mission of advancing women in our specialty. 
I fully agree. And as a personal testament, I certainly would not be sitting at this table with each and every one of you were it not for the Women's Dermatologic Society. I think this is a great living example of the support and friendships that can create a meaningful connection in all of our lives. Dr. Drake, you are also the past president of the AAD. You have been very active as it pertains to policy, advocacy, innovation, and thinking outside the box. Why do you think that this is so important and what advice would you give young women today? Young dermatologists are so bright and they have so much capability at their fingertips. And I think that this, by thinking outside the box, they can broaden the scope of their impact and their influence on the future of our specialty. Plus, I think they make their own lives more interesting by pursuing some outside activities. I started by being curious. And the dean at Emory Medical School, where I was practicing at the time, I was asking him some questions about managed care, and he said, why don't you do something about it? And he said, you need to go do this fellowship, and I'll nominate you. So he nominated me for the Robert Wood Johnson Health Policy Fellowship. So I went to Washington. And while there, I worked in the leadership office, the majority leader's office and minority leader's office of Senator Bob Dole. And it changed my life because I was also at that time considered a congressional fellow. And so it changed my life because I began to understand health policy in real depth and in a very practical manner in how government influences it. And that's very important for our young people because government will influence everything they'll do the rest of their life. So the better understanding you have of it, the better you can either cope with it, deal with it, or influence it. The second thing is then I got to Harvard and I developed the Clinical Research Center because I was back to my base and foundation, which has always been and will continue to be dermatology. At that time, I was given a career development award and went to the Harvard Business School. So I developed some skills in the world of business, which has also enhanced my personal career. And I think enhances everybody's careers in dermatology because business plays such a smart, progressive role. Most young people with a really great idea may not know how to commercialize it. That's an important skill set. I think that that is such good advice. Back to thinking outside the box, we're going to circle back to Pearl Grimes. As a president of the Women's Dermatologic Society, you've spearheaded an initiative to address the needs of the whole woman. This is a progressive idea that has gotten a lot of traction because it's representative of national trends and interests. Can you tell us more about this? We are truly excited about our Total Women's Health Initiative. So you can ask the question, well, what are we talking about? What do we mean by the Total Women's Health Initiative? I think that if dermatologists really think about what they do on a day-to-day basis, we're already the gatekeepers. So the concept is Total Women's Health through the Dermatology Gateway. If I look at what I do from a historical perspective with many of my patients on a day-to-day basis, in addition to addressing their very specific skin issues. My patients query me on hormones. My patients query me on nutrition, what supplements they should take. My patients query me on, Dr. Grimes, can you refer me to a cardiologist? Can you refer me to an internist? So. 
I'm a gatekeeper. So I think that we were already dealing with total women's health. So the purpose of this program is for us to really move forward in addressing total women's health, and it allows us to expand the sandbox that we already play in. You know, we certainly we will be able to address hormone issues, aging issues, stress-related issues as we age. So it's a rather broad palette. So what specific things are we doing? We're planning an exciting CME program where we will bring in experts who are renowned in the arena of women's health issues, total women's health. That's a part of our upcoming women's the WDS Forum. We've also initiated an exciting new national service initiative. And so as an organization, the WDS has historically been involved in a different type of service. And we've done an amazing job at our Play Safe in the Sun campaigns, our Building Shade programs in schools. So it's been fascinating. But this allows us to do a different type of service in reaching down and lifting up. To date, we have initiated programs in four women's shelters around the country. So what are we bringing into the shelters? We're bringing skincare on a budget, dermatology, nutrition on a budget, social skills, etiquette classes, all to women who are in shelters. Many of these women are victims of domestic violence or they're homeless for other reasons. But the overall mission the new program is to empower women when they reemerge into society. So all of these are facets of our Total Women's Health Initiative through the Dermatology Gateway. Thank you so much. And it's clear you can feel the buzz. It's kind of palpable. You can feel the buzz in the organization that is getting behind this, and our members are very energized by it. So I have a question for all of you. What challenges face women practicing dermatology today, and are they different than those seen in the past? Well, I guess I'll answer that first. I think that life balance continues to be the major challenge. I think that women in dermatology have a passion for it. They're not sure, as I stated with my little scenario, as to what to do with that passion other than to practice. I think that the challenge is to excite them to get them to participate and broaden their range of participation, to get some skills. And I think that preparation, preparation, preparation for your profession and your life is key. And then patience. Women have to learn patience. But what is so unique about the women's derm is not only are they a training ground for all of these things, especially the skills, but also the networking. And the older women can nurture and support the younger women, give them a network within which they can operate. So I think the challenge remains the life balance, what the individual woman wishes to focus on. We believe, especially as the Women's Derm Society has evolved over these 45 plus years, that we began as a network and friendship and support We've evolved to volunteerism, and we're more focused now on women's health and families. 
that we are now heavily involved in volunteer activities, which is bringing in young members, both male and female. So I think, again, life balance and then deciding what you want to do when you grow up. That's so great. And I think just to echo your sentiment that the Women's Dermatologic Society certainly is a venue and a place where you can get support in figuring out many of these challenges that you've stated. Okay, so in my 40 years of practice, I have seen the the evolution of women in dermatology as well. A lot of it is due to standing on the shoulders of giants, three of whom are sitting at the table with me here today, Drs. Bergfeld, Dr. Drake, Dr. Grimes, who are leaders in the specialty. And each generation of women has built on the shoulders of the previous ones. And going back to that first one, uh, that first Daisy Orman Robinson in 1905, can you imagine what it was like being the only grad female in a medical school class, being the only woman in the medical society in which she, which she joined, being the only woman to present at a dermatology meeting, being the only one there? Can you imagine that w- how far we've come? And a lot of it has been due to the, each generation of giant women who have made things better for all of us, not only for themselves, not only for, for the gender, but for our specialty as a whole. And I'm proud to have uh, seen that and been a little bit of a part of it. So what challenges do women face in 2018? I think that while we have truly evolved in dermatology and there are new and unique challenges, some of the challenges are the same. I think From the perspective of new challenges, women now, there are less women who are in private practice. If you look at the paradigm shifts in dermatology, many young women out of training end up in group practices. So I think when they enter the realm of group practices, they have less flexibility in controlling time and their own lives and schedules. Now, while there is less flexibility in their day-to-day schedule, I think the stresses, the responsibilities are the same in allotting time for children, family, other responsibilities. So I think if you view it from that perspective, probably the greatest challenge, I agree with Dr. Burkfeld, is how do you keep all the balls in the air and achieve some semblance of healthy work-life balance? As I reflect on my role in the Women's Derm Society and the evolution I have to tell you a quick story. I was asked by Dr. Bergfeld years ago when I was just a young dermatologist to join the Women's Dermatology Society, which was very new. And I told her no, that I wasn't interested in women's groups. And she sort of looked at me and said, in case you haven't noticed, you are one. And I had always been exposed to, I was the only woman in my residency class. I'd always just worked with men in medical school. There were only six women in my medical school class. And she drug me to a women's derm luncheon and set me down next to some fascinating women. And that's all it took. I had discovered a peer group. And I realized how important it was to have friends, mentors, nurturers, people you could talk to. This was an exciting revelation to me. And very interesting, when Dr. Perisher said that we stood on the shoulders of giant women like Dr. Brookfield, that's true. But guess what? We also stood on the shoulders of giant men who led Walter Shelley, Dick Odom, Phil Anderson, Peyton Weary. I look at some of the men who were on the original board, and they opened many doors for us. 
And what I learned was that they were very willing to open doors for us. And we evolved into these new leadership positions within the academy, within the American Academy of Dermatology. And the Women's Germ Society served as a springboard, as a training ground, as a network to help foster that activity. And so it then led to the next step is I was walking down the street one day with David Parisher, and I said, you've done so much in history with some other organizations. And he said, what about the women? I said, we haven't addressed that properly. And I said, would you be willing to come on the board? And I said, we've already had a couple of men on our board, and we now we need more men. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. So guess what? Dr. Parisher came on the board of directors of Women's Derm and then became the historian. So as women, we've gotten smarter because we realize this is not just about women mentoring women. This is about women mentoring everybody and sharing the mentorship responsibilities and sharing the successes. So Lynn, can I ask you, will there be a day when we need a men's dermatology association? You know, David, that's interesting. We've been asked that question so many times, and it's an important question. And frankly, it started as a kind of a social group because there were so few of us. Like, frankly, you guys would all go out to dinner together. We'd go to an academy meeting, and the men would all go off and play golf. They would all go off to dinner. They weren't deliberately ignoring us, but we just were sort of sitting around in our hotel room looking at each other. And so what happened is a couple of us would get together and we'd go to dinner. And some of the younger Durham residents, the women, they'd say, oh, well, maybe I can share a room with somebody and spare some, you know, save some money. You know, when you're poor and you're fresh out of your residency, you don't have a lot of money. So it began as a sharing, as a camaraderie, if you will. But that's been a tremendous evolution over time because now the guys and gals, everybody, men and women, tend to socialize together. But in the early days, that wasn't so. So that was an important part of the Women's Derm Society early on. I don't think there needs to be a Men's Dermatology Society right now because we're pretty well integrated. But if we were excluding you, then I would say yes. But we're trying to include you. And I think, I mean, we've got men on our board right now. If you could give one pearl or experience to share as it pertains to women in our profession, what would it be? I would have a pearl. Number one, I think that while the WDS, we move forward with inclusivity, diversity, I want to quote Sheryl Sandberg in just making the comment that I just, I cannot overemphasize the importance of women nurturing and mentoring women. It is so key in the growth of young women. And moreover, as women grow into leadership positions, I think the WDS has done an amazing job in teaching young women how to focus and prioritize in asking what is important. And that goes back to work-life balance. Get rid of the things that don't enhance your life and focus on those skill sets that move you forward. My pearl for the day is I think everybody should take advantage of expanding their skill set by venturing out into places they've never been before and step outside their comfort zone because they'll be amazed at what they discover. My pearl is women making a difference and reaching down to help the younger people. So women professionals making a difference, and that pertains to life, your profession, your colleagues, your friends. Well, you've all gotten the good pearls because I agree with, with all of them, but I would say be yourself, develop yourself, and help develop others. I think that's great. And my last pearl, would, I would add, don't be afraid to get involved. Search out organizations like the WDS, 
that can have a meaningful impact on your life. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Thank you, everybody, for joining me today, and thank you to our listeners. We hope you enjoyed it.